Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Love and You Learn podcast. So excited to be here with you each week. This has been an outlet of creative expression for me, and I know I keep saying this a lot, but I'm just really enjoying the feedback that I get from each of you about the podcasts each week, whether it's via DM or an email. I love hearing your thoughts. I've gotten some great topic suggestions, and I just really appreciate everybody in the You Love and You Learn community, so thank you so much. If you've been enjoying the podcast or if you enjoyed this episode specifically, I might suggest sending an episode to a friend that can help you kind of open up the doorway for a potential conversation you might want to have, or maybe something really resonated with you and you don't really talk about this type of stuff with your friends, but you want to start talking about this type of stuff more. And I think sharing a podcast episode is a great way to do so. I know that Nate and I have some group chats that we will send some podcast episodes to our friends just as kind of like a little love note or something that they might enjoy. And I think it's just a great way to show someone that you're thinking about them or value their thoughts and feelings about a certain subject. So that is a suggestion that you may consider if you enjoy this specific episode or if there's other episodes of mine that you want to discuss more with people in your life. Today's topic is one that I've been sitting with for a long time and I think it's really important to talk about and it's something that has been very apparent to me when I've started being curious about my behavior and patterns and how I operate in my life and in my relationships. And I can't wait to dive into it more. And I think that this conversation is very needed right now. You'll see why um, as I, I dive more in, but I want to give a little note at the beginning of the podcast. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode today because I also have an exciting announcement too. So stick around till the end of the episode. You're not going to want to miss this announcement. So I want to talk in today's episode about some reasons why I felt blocked from feelings of content in my relationship and life. I want to talk about the patterns I notice that essentially block these feelings of being content. And then conversely, or on the flip side, I want to talk about what I believe are ways that we can experience more feelings of content in not only our relationships, but also our life. And I think that it's just been very fascinating to me as I've navigated the journey of relationship anxiety. I think relationship anxiety can be this portal or this mirror to a lot of ways that we are showing up in our life that may not always be so helpful, but because relationships are so important and meaningful to us, It can be the reason or the area where we are able to take a look at some of these patterns or habits that we have. And as I've navigated relationship anxiety over these last few years, I've really vividly seen what was blocking and then still can sometimes block me from feeling content. And I think many of you will relate to this experience. So I'll first start by defining what content is, then I'm going to go into ways that I noticed I've been blocking myself from feeling content or ways in 
put another way that I've felt discontent in my relationship. And then I will get into some practices to begin the process of unblocking ourselves from these feelings of content. Um, basically said in another way, how to remove the feelings of discontent to make space for more feelings of content. So as far as defining content goes, um, just kind of a little sidebar, content is my word of the year. I made a vision board at the beginning of the year and put the word content as kind of the main experience that I was, you know, aiming to cultivate more of, if you will. And so it's been something that I've been keeping top of mind, not necessarily focusing on it every single moment, every single day, but it's just an energy that I'm trying to experience more of. And the definition of content means peaceful happiness. So being content essentially means being peacefully happy. And when I read that, it just was like this huge light bulb moment. Like, wow, isn't that two words that are music to the anxious mind's ears, like peace and happiness. And I just think that humans collectively, our goal in many ways is to be happy. I think like that's what most people want. If you kind of surveyed a random group of people on the street and asked them what feeling they're trying to have more of, I think happiness would be one of the top answers. Um, whether that's in their relationships or within their career or friendships or by traveling, whatever it is. And while happiness is incredible and great, and of course I enjoy feeling happy, and by no means I'm trying to advocate against happiness, I do think that there are some unintentional consequences that come up in this quest for happiness and it can kind of be problematic when we're constantly striving for happiness because when we're trying to chase something it means that we don't believe that we have it and that it's somewhere outside of ourselves and we need to go find it and then it becomes this like mission of i need to do this i need to figure this out and when we start chase, chase, chasing these things outside of ourselves, thinking that we need more and more and more and better, 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 then this can unintentionally leave us feeling unhappier and then less content. So it's very counterintuitive, but I think that the more that we are striving for this feeling of happiness, then sometimes the farther away it feels. And this became so apparent to me as I was navigating relationship anxiety. Like this was one of the biggest takeaways I think that I've had over the last few years, which is that the more I chased feeling good, feeling in love, feeling happy in my relationship, the less I seemed to feel those things. I'll say that again because I think it's just so, so, so important. The more I chased feeling good, feeling in love, or feeling happy in my relationship, the less I felt those things. For years in my relationship, I actually felt the opposite of content. I felt discontent. And discontent means dissatisfaction with one's circumstances. And if you're listening to this, maybe you relate to this in some way, or maybe you have experienced feelings of discontent in your relationship at one point. Maybe you've had or you currently have some level of dissatisfaction with your relationship or with your partner, and you wish more than anything that it wasn't there, but it is. And I've been there, and of course, I still have moments where I am there, and I can feel at times a little guilty for this, but I've practiced making more space for all of the feelings that come up in my relationship so that I'm not judging things as bad or wrong. But I do think that this dissatisfaction, discontent, or not feeling content comes down to what I'm going to call for this episode content blockers or blockers of feeling content, blockers of feeling peacefully happy. And 
I'm going to focus on six of these blockers of content, six patterns or six reasons I noticed that I felt discontent in my relationship that I think you will be able to resonate with as well. And I do think that there are more than six. There's there's no limit necessarily to the amount of things that can block our content. But these six were the ones that I saw coming up most consistently for me and that I see very commonly with my clients or with other people in my online community. I'm speaking mainly from my own personal experience and research here, but with helping dozens and dozens of clients directly and then supporting thousands of people in my online communities on social media indirectly, these are things that I'm seeing coming up in the questions that are asked or the comments that are left or the ways that people share and connect with me and share their stories. So let's get to it. Let's get to these six blockers of content so that we can then also move on to the ways that we can unblock these feelings of discontent and be on the path to hopefully cultivating more content. So on my path to unravel relationship anxiety, there were very consistent patterns that I realized just how much were causing me to feel discontent. And my life and my relationship were really being controlled by these six blockers of feeling content. And I'm just gonna go in no particular order with these six of importance. They all were very prevalent in my life. But the first one I'm going to talk about is perfectionism. Thinking that you, your partner, or your relationship should be perfect And that anything that doesn't go perfectly is a bad sign or a sign that you're doing something wrong. So for me, a couple of examples of this, it it sounded anything from, or it sounded like anything from why doesn't my relationship look and feel like the movies or, ugh, I messed up that Instagram post. I suck. That's more of a business example, but it could be something like, ugh, I shouldn't have talked to Nate in that way, I suck, like I'm not a good partner or whatever it is. And the thing about perfectionism and I mean, every single pattern or blocker of content that I'm going to mention today is pretty consistent with perfectionism as well, but it's a pattern or a mindset or a behavior that has some benefit to us. You know, there's something that it's doing to try and help us. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it, but it can have unintended consequences. There are levels to this. And so there's a point where the scale tips and what initially, excuse me, is something that we think is helpful, maybe like the quest for achievement or trying to do things well. Like there is some benefit, of course, to perfectionism in theory, but the scale can then tip over and this quest for achievement and improvement becomes a need for everything to be just right, everything to be perfect, or we're disappointed in ourselves or in others. In his book, How to Be an Imperfectionist, Stephen Guys, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, shares that if perfectionism were an iceberg, The small visible tip would be a desire for excellence and the submerged part, which compromises 90% of an iceberg's mass, would be the fear of failure. The fear of failure is not something we want to show the world, but it can still drive our actions. And then he also goes on to share that the literal consequences of failure are not so much what scares us but it's the idea that we could fail at something we desire greatly. So the more we want something, the more afraid we are not to get it. And I can totally relate to this. Like in terms of a relationship, this could mean that the more and more I desired having a fulfilling relationship and the more and more I wanted a long lasting or meaningful relationship, the more afraid I was not to get it And then the more I was trying to make sure it was perfect and that Nate was perfect so that everything would work out in the end. And it makes sense. It makes sense. And that's why I have compassion for 
this part of myself, but it was very much blocking my feelings of being content in the relationship. Now, perfectionism can look different for different people. It can be this drive to achieve, 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 and overexert ourselves, or it can be the fear of taking any action at all, because if we don't take any action, then that means we won't be able to have the opportunity to fail in the first place. I know that I have experienced both, <laughs> both tendencies where I either try and overdo it or I just don't start something at all because I don't really know how to do it and then I'm worried about failing. So if you see yourself in either of those or both, you are in good company. And when it comes to perfectionism, we may know that logically perfectionism is not necessarily based on reality, like nothing is necessarily perfect. Um, especially humans, but then in real, like in real time, if our partner is actually not being perfect and they mess up, then it can cause us to go into panic mode or, oh my gosh, what does this mean about them or about our relationship? So this is a subtle way that perfectionism can seep into our relationship and block our feelings of content because if something doesn't go perfectly or according to plan, then we're quickly thrown off our game and that's not necessarily helpful for us if we're so easily knocked off our game and and feeling flustered about something. So again, I know these feelings all too well and this was one of the first things that became really obvious to me uh, that perfectionism was blocking my feelings of content in the relationship and affecting how I showed up in my relationship for quite some time. So the second blocker of content is another one that you may be familiar with. I know for me, this is another one that came up very consistently and something I still have to practice is comparison. Looking externally at what everyone is doing and thinking that you or your partner or your relationship are not enough or not happy enough or not cool. This is a big one. And for me, it sounded like, well, they seem so much happier than I do, or they look so much happier than I feel, or dang, they are couple goals towards somebody else in their relationship. Now, in some ways, Comparison is kind of inevitable, and it is to help as a species make sure that we are not getting kicked out of the tribe because that used to be dangerous. Like back in hunter-gatherer days, that used to be really dangerous if we were doing something completely different from everybody else because there was a system that worked. And so if we were straying from the status quo, that could have literally been a threat to our safety. But despite that, this is a tendency or pattern that what can be at sometimes helpful has varying degrees to it. And checking in to see what others are doing does not mean that you're doing something bad or wrong. But if it's blocking you like it used to do for me, from finding peaceful happiness in your own life or your own relationship, that's when it can be a problem. And I know that's what was happening for me is that I was so focused on what everyone else was doing that I wasn't staying in my lane at all. And I wasn't really putting in that same energy to cultivating feelings of content in my own relationship. This used to play out in my relationship to the extreme. I would hear someone talking about their relationship on a podcast and immediately compare everything they said to what Nate and I did or didn't do. I would see a couple posting on social media and I would think that their relationship was so much better than ours and mine should look more like theirs and less like what I was posting on social media. Essentially, every single thing that I heard or saw that was related to relationships, I immediately internalized it and I tried to connect it to my own life and my own relationship in some way. Maybe you can relate to this. You're not alone if you do this. It's very common amongst my clients and like I just said, it was something I did myself. But what I have since learned about comparison is that it really is one of the biggest blockers of not only feeling content in my own life and my relationship, but it's a really big blocker of creativity. When we are constantly in comparison mode, we can't be creative. 
And in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, Brene Brown talks about this. She has a whole section on how to cultivate creativity and let go of comparison. And it makes a lot of sense why comparison can block our creativity because when we are looking at what everyone else is doing, we're not tapping into our own unique ideas and our own unique definition of what we enjoy or what we desire in our relationship or life. And when we block that creativity, it really takes away our own inner power or our own inner responsibility to create our own path in life or in our relationship. So even though like perfectionism, comparison can be another habit that we're doing to serve some sort of purpose and it can be kind of hardwired into us because we are human. Where it crosses over into blocking our feelings of content is when we spend more time wishing that our life or our relationship with someone else's instead of finding ways to bring out more fullness in our own life or relationship. Next blocker of content that I want to talk about is this nagging feeling or this nagging sense of being behind or feeling like we are behind somehow wishing that we were further along, thinking that others have it all sorted out and that we don't. Again, another one that really came up for me, and even though it's similar to comparison in certain ways, it's slightly different in the sense that not only are you comparing to where people are at, you're feeling like you are never catching up and you're doing something wrong or that other people just seem to have life all sorted out and you don't. So this sounded like they are so far ahead, will I ever get there? Or when will my anxiety go away? And putting these timeline expectations on myself to be farther along in my life, in my relationship, or with my anxiety journey. I think this can be really common in today's society where there seems to be this idealized path or, you know, there's this ideal set of steps we do in order to be like an adult somehow. And I know some of this is outdated, but I think that there's this pressure, especially in a relationship to find someone and become serious, get engaged, move in together, get married, potentially have kids. Again, like some of that has definitely shifted in the culture, but I do think that it's still considered the norm. And so that is why I think that there's this pull to want to like check those steps off the list and do those things and that can happen of course and just a general relationship it doesn't necessarily mean that only someone with relationship anxiety might feel behind but it can happen generally with anyone in a relationship but I think that this sense of feeling behind can also show up as you're working to reduce relationship anxiety. For me, this was me wanting to have the anxiety go away and to fast forward to some future moment where I didn't feel anxious anymore. And I felt so behind like everyone else who was living in a relationship without anxiety was way miles ahead of me and that I was just like 20 steps behind everybody and playing catch up aggressively almost to get there. And it felt really exhausting because I felt like I was chasing, chasing, chasing and not able to enjoy the present where I was currently at. So in her book, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, which I absolutely loved by Sarah Wilson. Um, It's a book on Sarah Wilson's journey to kind of accepting anxiety. And um, she has really great insights in there. But In this book, Sarah Wilson says that one of the dear, dear things about getting older is that it does eventually dawn on you that there is no guidebook. One day it suddenly emerges. No one bloody gets it. None of us know what we're doing. (laughs) And in some ways, this is a helpful reminder, but in other ways, the anxious mind really doesn't like this. Because the anxious mind wants that guidebook of how to live life. Here's the right timeline to do things in. Here's the step-by-step process of how to get things right. But then the unintended consequences of this desire to want the checklist, to want to do things in a certain way, is that if you're not doing that, then it can lead to you feeling behind or stuck or like you're doing something wrong. And 
somewhat obviously, this can block our feelings of content, right? Because if there's always this other box to check or always another line to cross or another goal to reach or like that next step, then it may never allow us to feel good about where we are at until we hit that next goal or do the next thing. So that's how feeling behind was blocking my content in my relationship and in other areas of my life. And maybe you can relate to that one as well. The next blocker of content is another familiar one for me. Um, This is one that I'm consistently practicing and trying to acknowledge when it comes up because it's a pattern that feels very hardwired, unfortunately, at this moment. And this is self-judgment. So self-judgment or criticism, put in another way, is when I'm harsh towards myself or judging parts of myself as bad or wrong or too much or not enough. And this one is, again, something that I think is unfortunately very common for me and a lot of my clients as well. And I think that just part of being human, we all have a degree of self-judgment. I wish that weren't true, but I think that part of the human experience is to have an element of self-judgment, and this can be another protective mechanism in an attempt to do the right thing and fit in. But for some people like myself, it can be extreme, and there are times when it feels like the self-judgment voice does not shut off. And for me, it can sound like, ugh, I just wish I didn't have anxiety or, ugh, like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was snippy with Nate. I can't believe that I forgot this or that or why wasn't I showing up today with more energy, whatever it is. What I want to get across in this piece about self-judgment is that many people, and formerly myself included, assume that being critical towards ourselves or towards themselves will motivate growth or change. We think that, well, if I'm just more guilty or more harsh towards myself, then that will motivate me to actually do something about it. And I think that can help in the short term, but in the long run, that's not what actually creates lasting change. And self-compassion expert Kristen Neff says that when we are critical of ourselves, we become both the attacker and the attacked. And I thought that was such a powerful analogy because when you are critical towards yourself, you are the person attacking yourself, but you're also getting attacked internally. And attacked is a strong word, but I think that sometimes it can feel like that internally. And as you can imagine, and as you may see in your own life, this can create a negative cycle where it becomes normal to internally attack ourselves. And that doesn't feel good to be on either the giving end of or the receiving end of. And this one is pretty obvious, I think, why it is a blocker of feeling content as well. Once you hear me explain some of this, it's like, okay, yeah, I see. I see why this is blocking my levels of content. Um, But specifically how this negatively impacted me was there have been times in my relationship where it felt like no matter what I did, it was never enough. And I could never be at peace with myself and my actions as a partner because I still was so hard on myself for having relationship anxiety that no matter what I did, it was never enough, never good enough. And that was really hard for me. And it made it very hard for me to feel content or peacefully happy with myself and in my relationship. And what's funny is I noticed that the self-judgment or the self-critical voice can even label being content as wrong or bad. Like it can label feeling content as laziness or as a sign that if we get too content that we're just going to stop growing or stop working hard. And so that's a way that we continue to block feeling content if we tell ourselves that feeling content is bad or wrong in the first place. But as we've just acknowledged, if we're trying to grow and change from a place of judgment or criticism, it's not so helpful. And so later I'm going to share what you can try instead of that. The next and fifth blocker of feeling content is resistance. So 
I covered resistance with Kiyomi of Awaken Into Love in episode 15. We went into resistance with a little bit more depth, but I think that it's still worth mentioning in this episode. If you haven't heard that episode yet, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's a great one. But when it comes to resistance, it's basically this fear or sense of pulling back, pulling away, or rejecting something. That's what I mean when I'm talking about resistance. And examples of resistance that have come up for me and sometimes still do are, you shouldn't be feeling this way. Or no one else seems to have anxiety in your relation in their relationship like you do, so maybe you're doing something wrong. And how this has often manifested in my life is waking up in the morning and resisting whatever I feel that day, thinking that I should wake up feeling good every single day, and if I don't, I resist whatever I am feeling. I've resisted love from Nate because I thought I had to be feeling a certain way to give or receive love. And if I wasn't feeling perfectly in love or open-hearted, then I thought that I shouldn't be giving or receiving love to Nate in those moments. And not a relationship example, but I've resisted many times doing something that I had told myself earlier that I wanted to do that day because I just wasn't feeling like it. So if I told myself earlier in the day I really wanted to not have a snack after dinner or eat healthy that night, then there are many times where I've resisted that just because in the moment it felt like I wanted a snack or whatever. And I'm not shaming having snacks after dinner. Like I do it all the time. But I do think that we all have examples of when like we've done that from a place of more like, oh yeah, like I really want this right now versus, oh, I'm just bored. And so I'm grabbing the extra pretzels or the extra candy just because it's there. So that would be an example of resisting something that you intentionally set out to do. Now, Resistance and feeling fear is part of being human. Um, It's understandable that we experience resistance. This is not to say resistance is wrong. And in his book, The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield even talks about how resistance is universal. Everybody has resistance. But I think the difference here that I want to talk about later comes up with how we respond to resistance. Because we all have it, but if it's continuing to show up and block us from feeling content, then we want to acknowledge that and find other ways that we can respond when resistance shows up instead of giving into it every time. And the ways that resistance can block these feelings of content is when we have ideas of how things should be in our mind and we resist or reject everything else that isn't that. And it does a great job of keeping us in our comfort zone and keeping us safe but not so great of a job of letting us be present and live and do the things that we really want to do. So this is all part of life. I'm human. You're human. Resistance is part of being human. This isn't a podcast episode to make you feel like you're doing something wrong. And my motivation is never to make you feel that way. It's just to simply help you build awareness of some of these tendencies because without awareness, then we're not able to intentionally practice shifting these patterns or behaviors. And last but certainly not least is analyzing. Analyzing is feeling like everything that happens has to mean something. We have to get to the bottom of it. And so let's think about what it means and analyze it. Scanning the situation for potential red flags or bad things. And analyzing can also show up as feeling like we have to know exactly what everything means. And we have to know, we have to get the answer, not just think about it, but we have to come to some sort of conclusion. That's a lot of times what we're trying to do when we analyze is get that control or get that certainty about something. And for me, this often sounded like I need to know why I am feeling this way or Nate just did this and I responded like this. What does that mean? Especially in the world of relationship anxiety, it's very common to analyze. (laughs) So I say this with so much love and compassion. I still have these moments, of course, I'm human, but I think that it can be very common when we are 
looking at things through that lens of relationship anxiety. Like, why did my partner do this? Why did I feel this way or not feel this way? Is this the right person for me? Is this going to work out? And all these questions. It's a form of protection again. So analyzing is another protective mechanism and it's a way to try and keep us from getting hurt or from being in danger. It's patterns that are not just coming out of thin air. They're trying to keep us safe. All of these six blockers of content really are us just trying to do the right thing. And that's why I'm sharing these not from a place of judgment, but just from a place of acknowledgement of what's really going on. But like I've said a couple of times already, I feel a little bit like a broken record, but I really want to hit this point home is that there are levels to this. So analyzing can be, of course, helpful at times like, okay, we lay out the facts, we're trying to make a decision. But I think we can all relate to times when analyzing has been taken to the extreme and the need for analyzing or protection is fully in the driver's seat, fully dictating how we're showing up in our life and our relationship and fully blocking us from feeling levels of content or peaceful happiness because we're so busy trying to figure out what everything means that we're not actually in the experience itself. So this one is one that can feel a little bit exhausting and sometimes you just want to hit that off switch. You're not alone if you tend to analyze a lot and I'm going to share coming up soon ways that we can flip that switch into something that does enhance feelings of content a little bit more. So those were the six blockers of content. It was perfectionism, comparison, feeling behind, self-judgment, resistance, and analyzing. And I will add that I believe all of these content blockers are interconnected in some way. And it makes sense, right? Like when we want things to be perfect and then we're comparing ourselves to others, we start to then feel behind and then we may judge ourselves for feeling behind and then we resist where we are in our journey and then analyze all of it and try to figure out what that means. And then, no surprise, we feel discontent. So I think all of these are interconnected and that's kind of how they showed up for me in my own relationship. And they were all connected in little ways. And again, it's just helpful to acknowledge when this is showing up. So now that we've covered six reasons why I felt discontent in my relationship and why maybe you may feel some feelings of discontent in your relationship, I want to switch gears for how to release some of these patterns, make peace with some of these patterns, and make room for more feelings of content, making room for more feelings of peaceful happiness. As I saw clearly that these six patterns were showing up in my life and blocking content, I realized that I had to do something about it, and it became glaringly obvious that these patterns and tendencies were in the driver's seat and I didn't want those things to be fully driving how I operated in my relationship. So once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And that's what I'm hoping this podcast episode does for you as well. And in order to cultivate more feelings of content in my life, I realized that I had to reduce the six blockers and make room for six enhancers, I will call, of content in my life, in my relationship. So here's what that looked like. And I'm going to go over one tip for each of these. If I went over all of them, the podcast episode would be more like three hours instead of hopefully what I will just be one hour or so if I went into all of these in full depth. But I'm going to give one example of each of these. And what it looked like for me to reduce the blockers and make room for the six new enhancers of content was to reduce perfectionism to make room for being human. Reduce comparison to make room for self-trust. Reduce feeling behind to make room for trusting the process. Reduce self-judgment to make room for self-compassion. Reduce resistance to make room for acceptance. 
And last but certainly not least, reduce analyzing to make room for presence. And while I was reducing these six blockers and making room for the six new enhancers, I had to make peace with all of these tendencies I had as well. Because it was really important to me to practice accepting these parts of myself that were trying to keep me safe. I had to learn to make peace with the mechanisms of perfectionism, comparison, feeling behind, self-judgment, resistance, and analyzing. Because these things were me trying to show up and live my life and they were just outdated protective mechanisms that I didn't really know had alternatives. This wasn't necessarily me trying to fix myself when I was reducing these six blockers of content. I wasn't trying to get rid of these six blockers. I was just trying to make peace with them and notice how I would like to show up and do things that didn't feel so heavy and so um, nitpicky and so harsh on myself all the time. And I knew that there was an alternate way. So I wasn't trying to reduce these things out of hatred for myself. I was trying to reduce these things and make room for the content enhancers out of love for myself. So now let's go into these. And like I said, I'm just going to give one example of the enhancers under each category, but there's many others. As you listen to this, I would encourage you to just pick one of these practices or maybe two to start weaving in and incorporating into your life because if you try to do all six at once, then that dips into kind of perfectionism and trying to reduce feeling behind. And remember, we're, we're reducing perfectionism. We're not trying to create more of it. So we don't need to perfectly make changes. It's a journey and I want you to trust the process. So one way that I have begun to reduce perfectionism to make room for being human in my relationship is to let the small stuff go and to acknowledge that imperfection is inevitable. I had to choose my battles and I still do. And I used to think that everything had to happen exactly as I thought it should be. (laughs) Even saying that out loud, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it just seems so silly, but I understand it because a lot of people and sometimes even myself still think that the world has to revolve around exactly how I think it should at all times. And I have so much compassion and empathy for this because I get it. I've been there. I still get there sometimes. But when you really hear yourself say that out loud, you're like, oh my gosh, like, whoa, what am I really expecting here? Because if every single person's expecting things to go exactly their way, then how does that work? So I used to think that Nate's way was wrong, my way was right. And I was really requiring things to be perfectly organized or how I expected them. And that was not making me feel content. It wasn't making me feel peacefully happy in my relationship. So it started with just letting things go, like the towel hanging on the door or the dish left on the table from breakfast when Nate heads out the door. Um, This was the small stuff that I had to let go and the imperfections that I wanted to make space for. And I think that when I started releasing the expectations of the things to be perfect, then I felt so much lighter. I felt so much better because instead of assuming that every single thing had to be perfect, then I was realizing that I could choose my own inner peace instead. And that my own inner peace is way more important than keeping a mental tally of every single thing Nate's doing. And when we're in this place of just letting the small stuff go, we actually make more space to notice the other ways that our partner may be showing up for us that we hadn't been seeing before because we were so busy looking for all the ways that it was imperfect, imperfect, excuse me. So just to recap that, the practice here to make more space for 
being human, not being perfect is to just let some of these small things go and to acknowledge imperfection is inevitable. And these are really daily practices that benefit my relationship and myself. (laughs) So the next practice to begin reducing comparison and making room for self-trust in my relationship was kind of living by this mantra of each relationship is unique and this is especially when i am looking at another couple that i either know or i see online because i used to think that comparing my relationship to someone else's was like apples to apples that their relationship and my relationship needed to match somehow and that all relationships had these same core things and they had to look similarly but Realistically, comparing my relationship to someone else's is always going to be apples to oranges. You can't compare because each relationship is unique and made up of different people with different ways that they've been uh, brought up and different ways they see the world. And so now when I remind myself that each relationship gets to be unique, I can celebrate someone else's relationship while also celebrating mine knowing that two relationships will never, ever, ever look the same. It's just impossible. Now, this is a practice. It's taken years to really sink in, but when I make space for other relationships, including mine, to be unique and different, it puts so much less pressure on my relationship to be like other people's, and it gives me room to show up in my relationship in ways that work for Nate and I. So it's turning that outward focus back inward of how do I want to show up. And just a sidebar here, in my Is It Anxiety or Am I Settling webinar, I give this exercise of ways to show up and create that more fulfilling relationship that you want, starting with reflecting on what that even looks like to you in the first place. So that is a great resource if you are looking to try and reflect more on how you want your relationship to look and feel. The next practice I want to share, the way that I've begun to reduce feeling behind and make room for self-trust, is to throw away timeline expectations and trust that things will unfold in the time that they are meant to unfold. Now, in his book, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, which I really enjoyed, he shares this German phrase called Eigenzeit. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Eigenzeit means the time inherent to a process itself. The time inherent to a process itself. I really love this. And I believe that things will happen in the time inherent to their own unique process and no sooner and no later. And adopting that belief, adopting that new mindset has really helped me because I used to have ideas about what a good timeline was for things like when to have kids, when to get married, all of that. And I remember back in the day telling myself I wanted to be a young mom. And I probably came up with this idea like when I was a teenager or something. And it's just so funny how I had this belief of what it would be to be a young mom. Um, I thought that would be better or cooler or something. And now that I'm past the age of 30 and not ready to have kids yet, it's just kind of laughable to me about like when I created that idea in my mind. And now realistically, that's no longer what I want at all. And I think sometimes that's how we live our life is that we created this idea about how something should look when we were teenagers or much younger. And then we think we have to follow through on it perfectly, but we don't stop to reassess if that's actually what we want. So I think that it's just really important to acknowledge that things will take the time that they take. And instead of striving for this perfect timeline, Um, and everything needing to unfold in this perfect way to allow it to unfold in the time that it will take. Not how we think something should be, but how it is. Um, And this leaves much more space for feeling content because I know for me and Nate, like I had to throw away a timeline expectation of how long you should be together before you get married or engaged and we're coming up on seven years at the end of this year and to some people they might hear that and be like well why aren't you engaged yet or when are you doing this or that and to us I just I don't need that engagement to know that I'm committed to him and so when I'm doing something on my own terms instead of thinking about 
someone else's expectations of what's right or important, I leave so much more space to feel peacefully happy about my own unique journey. So if you're listening to this right now and feel behind in some way, I want you to check in with yourself and where the expectation to follow a certain timeline for your life or relationship is coming from and why it's so important to you. And just to consider that if the expectation is causing you to feel anxious, that it may be worth checking in on and and just asking, well, do I want to keep this expectation if it doesn't make me feel good? So this was something that I had to intentionally shift. And I want you to give yourself some compassion, which brings me perfectly to the next point I want to make, which is the practice that I have begun to reduce self-judgment and make room for self-compassion in my relationship is to remind myself that at any given moment, I am always doing my best. And if you think about it, this is like the only thing that ever makes sense. If we could be doing better, we would be. If I could be doing something better, then I probably would. And so... I always have to remind myself that I'm doing my best. And even if it doesn't feel like it's good enough at that time, to acknowledge that that might be coming from a place of perfectionism, of always expecting ourselves to be performing perfectly. It's such a big shift of I'm always doing my best from what I used to say of like, oh, like you could have always been doing more. And I practice this every day. Like when I have my own business, I know this is not (laughs) a business podcast, but when I have my own business now, I feel like at the end of the day, the to-do list never technically feels complete because there's always stuff I know I could be doing. And so I really have to intentionally allow myself to pause and take breaks. And it's kind of the same thing in relationships at times. If we feel like there's always something more we could be doing to improve our relationship instead of, oh, well, we're trying our best at any given moment, then the laundry list of things to do or fix will continue forever. And so I'm not here to say like completely ignore any challenges that are coming up for you, but just giving yourself permission to trust that you and the relationship are doing your best. And when I was able to learn and understand self-compassion more and I realized that, like we talked about earlier, Kristen Neff says that we can't motivate ourselves from being the attacker and the attacked, but rather we motivate ourselves from self-compassion. I realized that I really did want to grow from a place of love, that whenever I was doing something moving forward, that I wanted it to come from the energy of loving myself, not from a place of I have so much to fix about myself and that I'm broken. And self-compassion really has been one of the biggest changes in my life and relationship that has helped me feel more peaceful happiness with myself and with Nate. So just a quick example of self-compassion would be something like, you're not a terrible partner because you have anxiety. It's fear. Or you can't go back and change what you just said to Nate, but you can apologize and move forward instead of just beating myself up about it. So... If you want to learn more about this, I highly recommend Kristen Neff's TED Talk about self-compassion, so I'll link to that in the show notes. All right, two more practices here to share with you, and then the announcement that I'm so excited for. But one way that I have begun to reduce resistance to make room for acceptance in my relationship is making space for whatever feelings are coming up instead of thinking that feelings need to be a certain way just making space for whatever feelings are coming up mark manson shares that the desire for more positive experience is itself a negative experience and paradoxically the acceptance of one's negative experience is a positive experience and this has been so true for me in my life When I'm spending my time wishing I was feeling better, I end up feeling worse. Maybe you can think about an example where that's happened to you before as well. But when I accept that I'm not feeling my best, I end up feeling better because I'm not trying to fix anything. When I felt very discontent in my relationship, it was because I thought I should only feel good, that I should only feel in love, infatuated, grateful, etc. But As counterintuitive as this may sound, when I allowed myself to feel discontent or other feelings like anger, fear, irritation, disappointment, I began to feel more content. It's it's so weird to think, but when I allowed myself to feel discontent, I overall felt more content. 
So I believe that when we hear ourselves saying something like, well, I have to feel good in order to be happy, then it's pretty limiting because then you can only find happiness if you're feeling good all the time. And so anything other than happiness means unhappiness. And I just feel like that's so limiting. And feelings inevitably come and go. So instead of trying to control them or resist them or wish that they were different, making space for them helps them move through us. There's this great analogy, we are the sky and feelings and thoughts are the clouds in the sky. We are not the clouds, we are the sky. So feelings and thoughts consistently come and go and they pass through us. But if every single time we try to grasp the cloud or like hook into it or judge it or label it, then these feelings and thoughts are not going to pass like they normally would in the sky. So this practice of making space for my feelings has really helped me. And I love the tool, the feelings wheel. Um, As someone who's still learning to even acknowledge and feel my feelings, like what am I really feeling? It's a really helpful tool. So check out the feelings wheel at feelingswheel.com and just familiarize yourself with like what the feelings are that you could be feeling. Um, It's just really helpful. One final note I'll say about feelings is that just because we have a feeling doesn't mean we have to act on the feeling. Um, So just because I'm talking about feelings here doesn't mean that we need to become so obsessed with our feelings that we're constantly trying to like analyze or understand them. We don't have to act on every single feeling. It's that cloud in the sky. So just let it pass, accept it and move forward instead of trying to label every feeling or do something about it. All right. Last but not least, one way and one practice that I have brought into my life to reduce analyzing and make room for presence in my relationship is no longer assigning meaning to every moment of me and Nate's life. If we're having a mundane weekend on the couch, it doesn't mean we're a bad couple. If we get into a disagreement, it doesn't mean that we will always disagree about the topic. If we're having a lull where things are not as passionate, it doesn't mean we'll never have passion again. Sure, yes, there are still some times where my anxious brain tries to tell me these things, but then I quickly practice shifting into a more self-compassionate perspective and allow what is happening to happen. And what really helped me practice this is realizing that almost every single event, pretty much every event in life, is neutral. Nate leaving dishes in the sink is neutral. Nate giving me a love and kiss is neutral. But typically what we do is we add stories to each of these things that the dish in the sink is bad or the kiss is good but it's really just a dish in the sink and a kiss so instead of trying to analyze and assess what every single one of these actions means it just simply is i allow it to simply be and now of course this is not intended to justify poor or abusive behavior and just saying that's neutral no but just to shift your perspective that perhaps not every single thing in your relationship needs a label. So to quickly recap here, the six ways that I have practiced shifting from being discontent in my relationship and blocking content in my life to enhancing feelings of content and peaceful happiness in my relationship are reducing perfectionism to make room for being human. Reduce comparison to make room for self-trust. Reduce feeling behind to make room for trusting the process. Reduce self-judgment to make room for self-compassion. Reduce resistance to make room for acceptance. And reduce analyzing to make space for presence. I hope that me acknowledging these six blockers of content and then the opposite, the six ways to enhance content have been helpful for you and hopefully eye-opening and just giving you that awareness. And now that we've talked about these, I am so excited to share something that I have created that ties into these topics and ties into the overall conversation of feeling content. Now, I've been thinking about creating something like this for quite some time because I think it's so needed especially in today's society where we get so many messages like do more, be better, achieve, achieve, achieve. 
find the one right off into the sunset, start living your happily ever after. And these messages are causing so much discontent, I think, in many ways. The messages are really getting old for me because it perpetuates this constant need to be more, have more, do more, and be perfect. And I feel like there's this endless chase towards the next thing that we're told will bring us happiness. And I'm pretty tired of thinking that other people's lives somehow must be better than mine and that I'm doing something wrong. And I've really worked to leave that narrative behind as best as I can. I feel tired of judging hard moments or seasons in my life and thinking that I should be more grateful for what I have when it's okay to have these hard moments. And maybe you're feeling this too. Maybe you're feeling like there's just never an end in sight to what you think you can be doing to grow or improve or change in your relationship and in your life in general. And maybe you are ready for a shift because I really think that all along we've been chasing this ideal and this sense of perfection. And that the more we keep trying to chase this and chase happiness, the further away some of these things can become. That we're really doing a lot of these things as an attempt to fix ourselves and change being human. And instead of doing this from a place of love and a place of kindness and gentleness towards ourselves, I think a lot of this comes from this place of I don't like myself or I wish I was different. And that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good as individuals and it doesn't feel good in our relationships. It makes us feel discontent and like there's so much that we have to do, so many things to fix and we become dissatisfied. Oh oh my gosh, even just talking about it (laughs) makes me tired and I think that it's so prevalent these days. And so This was exactly why I decided to create a new group coaching experience called, drum roll please, Cultivating Content. As I said earlier in this episode, content has been my word of the year for 2023, and the word is just so beautiful to me and so inspiring. And I really think it's something we're all hoping to experience more of and cultivate in our lives. But we think that we have to earn feeling content. And I'm here to say that I think that we're going about this all backwards. I've really been spending a lot of time practicing intentionally releasing the things that block content in my life and relationship and practicing intentionally making space for the things that enhance feelings of content in my life and relationship. So much so that it led me to create Cultivating Content so I can share this with others. I'm just so excited about this. It's going to be an intimate six-month group coaching experience to cultivate peaceful happiness in your relationship and life. Because when I was able to just allow myself to be human, like allow myself to be Sarah Yudkin, human, not perfect, um, just be myself, and practice trusting myself and not compare to every single thing others were doing or to trust my own timeline and trust the process instead of thinking I was constantly behind at something and needing to catch up with everything. When I was able to begin practicing self-compassion and releasing the need to judge every single move I did as bad or wrong and make space for acceptance of my feelings and acceptance of what I was doing instead of so much resistance. And lastly, when I was able to come back to presence and practice just allowing what is instead of analyzing every single thing and needing some answer or some meaning from it, my relationship and my life became so much better for it. And I really have gone from feeling like my relationship was always under a microscope to being more present and content, peacefully happy in my life and relationship. No, not perfectly in every moment, but enough to feel like I'm intentionally living my life instead of life just happening to me. And I really want to help you give yourself that same gift of feeling content in your relationship and in your life. 
I created this coaching experience because I really just think that this is needed more than ever. I really think that a space where you can feel safe to bring your imperfect self is needed, a space where you can hear what people are really thinking and feeling outside of this glitz and glam on social media, a space where you can learn to love yourself and others because of what makes us human, not in an attempt to escape being human. I just think this is so needed. And I really think that a space and a program where we can press pause on this like healing and self-development treadmill and show up instead with gentleness and kindness towards our partner and our relationship and ourself is just going to be so beautiful and magical. So cultivating content is going to be that intimate support system that can be with you as you learn to accept yourself and your relationship. It will be with you as you practice moving beyond this quest for perfection that has you feeling like there's no finish line in sight and that there's never enough. And it will be with you as you practice accepting your human experience with the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows and really practice self-acceptance and acceptance of your relationship instead of constantly needing better, better, better. And last but not least, cultivating content will be there with you as you practice to make space for seasons of just being instead of this constant need to do, do, do. I'm really, 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 really excited about this in case you can't hear it in my voice. Um, I just cannot wait. I think this is going to be so beautiful. And the pioneer cohort of Cultivating Content is going to begin in mid-June, a little bit less than a month from now. And applications are now open. So the link to more information about Cultivating Content and how to apply will be in the show notes for those who are interested. You can explore more information within that link, but just a few quick tidbits about the experience. It's going to be an intimate group. I'm capping the size at 12 for this first cohort. And that is intentional because I really want to go deep and explore and form deep connection with everybody in the group. The experience is going to take us from mid-June through the end of 2023, just before the holidays. And early bird pricing is now open through the 1st of June. Um, So from now until the 1st of June, you can save $500 on the program. And there is a nine-month payment plan option for this program as well, which I'm really excited about. And if you are feeling burnt out from all the growth and healing that you've been trying to do and you are ready to get to a place of more love and acceptance of yourself and your relationship without feeling like there's so much to fix and change, this is for you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really cannot wait to kick off cultivating content in just under a month from now and I will see you in the next episode, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.